The talk we give today is on the nature of life after death. I usually begin with a poem. There's not that many poems I actually have on the nature of life after death, but I did want to read out one on a dialogue between a student and his teacher. And it's got to do with the problem of living in a body, a physical body. And for some people that are following the path to light, the physical body is a real problem. We're living in it. And most people that are traveling to enlightenment are trying to get out of it one way or the other. And many people want to deny it, deny its existence. So much of it concerns what happens out of one's body. And it's a well-known fact that the life of meditation and the life after death are similar. As a matter of fact, all that one is doing when one undergoes the process of enlightenment is learning how to escape the bounds of the physical body and the consciousness that traps us to it. And the experiences that one has is one goes inward and then outwards into multidimensional space in meditation is similar or the same experience as what happens when the body is released at death. Many on this path to light try to mortify the body. In other words, they try to get rid of it one way or the other through starving it or uh, going to the forests or mountains and trying to act as if it doesn't exist. They become monks and try to deny their sex and so forth. And so uh, this poem has got something to do about that. So it's called a dialogue between an aspirant and his teacher. And the body here is simply called the shell. This shell, this shell, this bodily shell, how do I get out of this bodily shell? It holds, controls, surrounds, dumbfounds and confounds me. It hinders travelling to full awakening. Restrains vision to this worldly perception. It causes constant inebriated sensual pursuing of death-like habits and repeated sensations, miseries, glamours and painful expressions. How do I get out of this bodily hell? Then the teacher says this. This shell of yours is of angelic construction. It is a field of opportunity where an enlightened purpose is unfolded and contains faculties that when developed will allow you to master all forces and energies in the realm of human endeavor and to express the qualities embodied by the divine creator. Yet momentarily this shell binds you to the glory of full light supernal, the inner sun that you know by intuitive perception, to be at the heart of your full being. With no light there is no love, nor joy or understanding, and there can be no vision. If nothing is seen, then the way cannot be found, nor the path travelled, or peace achieved. Only much stumbling and groping in the dark. 
take care that such blindness is not mistaken for inner solitude or reticence for realized awareness. How many times must you travel on the same road before you can understand the nature of the journeying? Is it necessary for you to have a guide on the path? Can you light the lamp that will show you the way? Or will you ignore the necessity of the journeying in order to live at peace with a past understanding that flowers not nor has maturing because of an inability to take steps of resolution? Will you descend, discard a vehicle developed for service when the first mounds of adversity blocks the mountainous road before you or when an ill wind blows away the covers of your self-made complacency or an earthquake shatters the construct of the safe house of tomorrow's established security? What is your body in relation to all being? Indeed, how can you recognize what you're really seeing? Your body's form implicates the path of complete self-mastery. How can you travel without your feet? for the journeying, the eyes to vision the plan, or the ears to hear the silent voice of the realized guru. Inner resolution must be strengthened by determined insight and all outer experiences tasted, for one gains by selective discrimination of the mind built by the full expression of all the senses, at all times experiment with presented opportunity. Your threefold body will give full warning of its needs at all parts of the journeying. Do not fear to face a new beginning or to see in another's mistakes your own upbringing. Self-mastery is your avowed achievement and divine realization the fruition of a long time searching in bodily shells well-worn scourged of defects, yet battle-scarred, then transformed. Your unfoldment has encompassed all types of sentient experiences, lifestyles and receptions. Divinity cannot help you if you are not willing to link your heart and hands of all your brethren, to touch their lives with good intention, to serve their needs with your full attention, with body, speech and mind a united vehicle, and to walk the road of the world's salvation. If you think only of your own path and tribulation, you are stumbling in the veil of self-illusion, a mere baby in the realm of meaning, innocent of the nature of accomplished mastery, ignorant of the laws of love and sacrifice that produce final liberation from that vitalized shell that's your adornment. If you visualize only in relation to yourself, you're blind to the art of seeing. True beauty, peace and tranquility abound only in the realm of meaning and unfolds as multidimensional universes of being in which all entities have their place and field of resolution and where the senses find transmuted application. Your path and my path have the same maturing. Walk with me and end your anguished dreaming. Your bodily shell will then produce no limitation, 
only a skin delineating one field of awareness from another far more encompassing. Avenues within that shell can be found that will lead you to revelation of that new enlightened expansion. Steadfastly strive with inspired aspiration and those who have already mastered will give you the keys to full understanding to the developed heart that is the doorway to your escape. If you take no heed of tuition, born to enlightened standing, Sangsara's troubled path then will bear its karmic fruition. And then the student says this, Your tuition will indeed find fruitful application. This shell will be worn well. It will become a vehicle to serve all in need, to unfold its transmutative ability, wherein the four elements become expressed, developed and interblended whilst the senses themselves become projected to experience in all dimensions of perception, to break the bounds of elusive wandering. Every form of experience shall be mastered, the path trodden to perfection. I bow down in obeisance to the Guru and his instruction. So what we're talking about today are these dimensions of perception these other states of being that reside inside and outside our bodily shell, the skin and its senses. I have a chart here which some of you, some of you can look at later on of the seven planes of perception, the seven dimensions of being. It relates to the seven days of creation in the Bible, the seven rays of lights. The whole universe is ordered according to this number seven. Well, if you read my divine causation, uh, you'll find that an abstract trinity manifests itself as an objective triple reality via an ever-changing fourth point, and that in itself is the star of David or Sheila Solomon. Father, son, mother, or life, appearance and consciousness is all there is. The father and son producing the child in all realms of being and that reflects itself ad infinitely into the ever appearing form which is an illusion. So we get the three archetypal and three expressed forms via a mirror that reflects one to the other making the seven. And so it is in all things. Each of these subplanes, each of these rays, have seven. Each of these planes of, or dimensions of perception or subplanes also have seven subplanes to them. Seven times seven equals forty-nine. To the dense physical plane, we have the elements as you know them, the dense physical form, the watery form, and the airy or fiery form, the triplicity there. We have then four etheric subplanes in ever increasing subtlety. And these ethers hold the chakras, seven chakras, for the seven dimensions. They are also minor chakras that relate to the astral plane proper. 
when one is talking about these dimensions of perception, therefore we're looking at the chakras as the mechanism of, or doorways into each of the dimensions. The base of the spine to the physical plane, including the ethic substratum, the sacral center, referring to the ethic itself proper, the solar plexus to the astral or the emotional realm, the throat center to the mental plane, the heart to the realm of enlightenment called buddhi, the Ajna center is the eye of direction and relates to what we call Atma or spiritual will. Technically there are five main dimensions associated with human evolution of the seven. The higher two have got to do with the spirit cosmic evolution as I call it and there are really five main chakras in the body that relate to these five planes and these are five elements in the Buddhist philosophy the Ajna or the third eye and the head lotus become one are seen as a unity they're overlapping each other and the base of the spine and the Svadhisthana or the sacral center are unity and then we have then the Manapura the solar plexus center the throat centre and the heart centre is the other three. This is a bit of technical terminology to those of you who are interested in Eastern philosophy. Now, this subject is also tied in with reincarnation, as you know, those of you who have listened to my talk on karma and reincarnation. I could have also styled this talk the soul and its mechanism or the mechanism of reincarnating. Because all that one does when one leaves one's body at night in meditation or when one dies, because the process is the same in all three, if the meditation is done properly, is going to the realms where those that are preparing for reincarnation exist. It's as simple as that. And there's a whole mechanism associated with that's bringing back into a physical form those beings that are preparing to incarnate. This is for the average being or the average spiritual being. There are states of enlightened or high enlightened states where great enlightened beings go to beyond the realms of birth and death. And they incarnate by choice, not because it's a necessity because they have karma associated with the material world as such. When one drops one's body and one simply, just simply drops the body, the body leaves, it leaves via some chakras, minor chakras, there are the shoulder blades and one in between the shoulder blades and then out it goes and the body of course is left to rot be consumed by worms or experimented on by the medical profession and you are out of your body in an etheric body, an etheric form. All that's really happened is that the vitality of your body has gone into your etheric body, the etheric double, which I explained somewhat in my talk on the aura and it is then standing looking at the corpse and saying what on earth was that about? If it is a normal death 
all of you leave your bodies at nights. I've shown a picture of the actual leaving of the body, or one aspect of it. All of you leave your body at nights and go into this etheric state, and some of you into the astral state, and those of you that are far more mentally polarized go into the realm of the mind. And you look at that body, and it's virtually meaningless to you. It's not the real you. It's not the reality. It's a shell that's been created in this particular life for a purpose of gathering information, for a purpose of cleansing certain types of karma. If the being had died in an accident, or through suicide, or some violent way like that, then there's a lot of vital force there, and the being is often bewildered as to where they are. Now, this etheric form, this etheric body, can travel with the speed of thought anywhere on this earth, pass through walls and so forth. But for the first week or so, normally, the being may do that. They say, oh gee, I want to visit Paris, and off they are looking at Paris. Of course, the people in Paris will not be able to talk to them because they do not have the mechanism of listening to what they have to say. So, on the whole, however, on the whole, they do their, their dutiful thing in visiting the wailing ones, the ones grieving at them and saying, look, I'm not really dead, I'm alive. Uh, but these people can't listen, they're busy, too busy and traumatized or whatever presuming you've got people that actually love you. They might visit the relatives or the aunts sort of, you know, sort of 300 miles away and then come back and often they're watching their funeral with detached interest. After about a week, sometimes two weeks, depending on the amount of vitality that's left in that person, beings come from the higher realm, the astral realm, guides if you wish, and they take them to a higher realm, and they leave, drop the etheric form behind. This is an etheric shell, and it's just another physical form. Most of you who have taken drugs can see it quite easily, some of you can see it naturally. We regard it physical, in the true physical body, because this shell, this physical form that you all take as the reality is the illusion, it's always changing. And it changes according to the energies coming through this etheric form and its chakras. The reality is the energy body, the energy field and the consciousness that works through it. So this shell then is dropped behind and you go into the astral realms. And it's specifically this astral realm that I want to talk about. When a person is still alive and they leave their bodies at night, they leave their bodies through over the top of their head or through the solar plexus center. And linked to the body is a silver cord. And it's mentioned at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. And it's the silver cord that determines whether a person is dead or alive. If they're alive, there's a silver cord attached to it and you quite clearly see it clairvoyantly, and if they have deceased, there's no silver cord. 
the full vitality is in that individual. Simple, is it not? All of you, therefore, leave your bodies at night and you'll sometimes arrange to meet somebody. And you'll talk to maybe your father or your mother in some distant country and come back with memory or an, a remembrance of the fact of that you've talked to that person. You'll have a fond wish of that person or decide to write a letter or something like that. Sometimes you have dreams and often these dreams that you have is just simply the, the memory of the remembrance of what you experienced on the inner realms. Sometimes you arrange to meet someone and that you haven't seen for a while and all of a sudden you meet them on the street. Not little realizing that this was prearranged prior on the inner realms. And of course, people from your past lives that you don't know in this life suddenly appear. And all of this is prearranged on the inner realms. You know them full well on the inner realms when you leave your bodies. It's just on the physical that you don't. And so you meet and you fall in love or whatever it is that happens as a consequence. Often deja vu experiences of this nature. The astral plane itself, after you've left or died to the physical body, incidentally, for these those types often that are suicide victims who have died traumatically, uh, when they actually leave their shell, that etheric shell, it's left behind full of vitality and sometimes um, entities, monkey-like entities, indigenous entities to this realm, inhabit it. And they keep that vitality alive. And this is part of the explanation for ghosts. We can go into this more sometime if you want. Now, the astral body, this sixth dimension, mm -hmm. counting from above down, or the second one, counting from below up, its element is water. The five dimensions of perception associated with human evolution is that the physical plane, the ethic substratum, its element is earth. The astral plane, its element is water. The realm of the mind, the element is fire. The realm of the intuition or the enlightened being, its element is air. And the element, of the realm of the spiritual will, of the higher um, enlightened standing, its element is ether. And these five elements are seen throughout alchemical law, both the Eastern philosophies and the Western philosophies, they are there. The Greeks used them, the Egyptians used them, the Buddhists used them, the Hindus used them, and so forth. So, we're looking at what's often called the fourth dimension, and fourth dimensional perception. In this case, translated as the astral plane. And what's the astral plane actually exists of is the sum total of people's emotional lives. It's been created by humanity for millions of years, or well, let's say many, many tens of thousands of years. Throughout the evolution of humanity, whilst they've had imaginative lives, they've created the heaven and hell states seen in all the religions on the astral plane. And 
there are seven subplanes to this astral realm, each of increasing subtlety, each of increasing beauty. The lower subplanes relate to the hell states, and the higher subplanes relate to the heaven states. If you had come to my talk on the nature of the aura, and then the former talk on the thought forms, then you'll know this astral substance, this auric substance we're talking about, is fluid. It's ever-changing and adapting itself according to the way you are emotionally. And people can read these thought forms according to the colors and the energies put into them. I mentioned also in my talk on thought forms that this astral realm that people create huge thought forms as to images of deity, the nature of God, of the gods, of these Hindu gods you see around you, of everything they desire. Whenever you desire something strongly, you build an image of it. And then you try to make that image real. And likewise, for the sum total of humanity, whatever they've desired collectively, they've built images of it. That image, then, it's given real energy, real substance to it, which is your emotional substance or your mental emotional substance. And it's this mental emotional substance based on the images you've created and all of humanity have created throughout their lives that this astral plane is composed of. It's simple enough. Back in the days of ancient Egypt, basically they tried to sustain a person with these images. When somebody died, they often painted in the tombs of the wealthy, of course, everything that those individuals needed and desired on the physical plane. Stacks of food, lots of pretty women for the men and probably pretty men for the women. That whole world was painted there and was created through invocation. Many days of, of saying mantras and visualizations of what they thought the being desired and needed in the afterlife. If you go back earlier than that, it was not images that were painted on walls of temples, but for the rulers and nobles, people were actually sacrificed. Their whole lives were sacrificed. You get 20 or 30 members of a harem all being killed for the sake of the one who died. Later on, they found a more hum humane way of, uh, of painting these, uh, giving the person in the afterlife some sort of beauty and sustenance, and this was these astral images they created through visualizations. And the whole religion was based on this, all the religions of those times. Symbolically, it's the golden calf that the Israelites worshipped. They painted that image with their mind of what they thought was the real, the image of deity. You can therefore Imagine that this astral realm contains myriads of such images. 
ever whole state religion has painted an image of what life after death is, then there's millions of beings that have created that image with their emotions and their devotion over hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. Very strong images indeed. So we have images of Christ, images of Krishna, images of God, images of no God, images of fat bloated Buddhas and images of very serene Buddhas, all created by devotees of those religions. And if a devotee of a religion has created those images, as soon as they leave their, or leave their ephric shell behind, that image then descends upon them and becomes the reality for them. That's what they live in, what surrounds them. They see God, they see Krishna, they see the Christ and they worship him. It's what they themselves have created. It's the reward, the karmic reward for the devotion. Of course, if they created images of health, then we get those images also descending upon them. So, I want you to understand that this realm is very fluid, very plastic. Everything to do with the three worlds of human evolution when I talk about the three worlds, I'm talking about the physical plane, this astral plane, and the realm of the mind, is transient, ephemeral, always changing. Nothing lasts forever. This astral realm is more than just the images that people have created. There's more to it than that. It's also created by means of your emotional substance, people's hatreds people's fears, people's anxieties, people's selfishnesses. When you leave your body and you go into this astral plane, all you've done is left your body. It's there, cropping away. It's no longer dulling or toning down your experiences, your expressions, your emotions. You now live in an emotional body complete without it being in any way toned down, without it in any way being dulled by the senses in your brain. Pure emotions, pure cravings, pure desires, pure sexuality, and no means of fulfilling this. And that is the health state that people suffer when they die and they suffered for the length of time that that or the strength of the energy was put into that type of emotion that type of sensation that type of desire that type of hatred for the length or the strength that that was created that is their karma ultimately it teaches people what not to do and they become enlightened because they learn through these types of experiences when they reincarnate. They have an aversion later on to strong cravings, strong desires, strong attachments to ephemeral things. And therefore it pushes them on to the path to becoming a Christ or a Buddha. And all must. That's the way evolution goes.
So this astral realm is a realm whereby we are educated and we suffer our karma, our karma for our emotional misdeeds, our karma for our desires, our selfishnesses, our hatreds and things like that that did not necessarily manifest on the physical plane but was not cleansed by our emotional bodies. Collectively, humanity has created some terrible conditions on this astral plane. When one has spent the whole life pursuing selfish activity, for instance, money, money, more money, and everything that money can buy for that person, their materialistic empire which they steal from everyone else and take from the environment in order to build around them. That selfishness then descends upon them like a cage with everyone else's cages of selfishness. Those beings that are inherently selfish like that, when they die and they get out of their physical body and out of the etheric state, find themselves in a the most squalid condition. They may have been millionaires and billionaires of incredible wealth on the physical plane, but on this astral realm, it's a different story. The full extent of their selfishness and the horror that they've committed to other people to amass that wealth, whether by legal means or not, just simply working deeds of ill will to humanity in order to please the self, they find that they end up in the lower strata of the astral realm, in hobble-type conditionings full of mud and muddy energies and they reside in that realm for quite a considerable time again according to the strength of their avarice the stronger they are selfish the more they think of themselves in relationship to the other the deeper the pit, the black hole they make for themselves the murky hole, the murky swamp that they reside in there's no love there because they've deprived themselves of love. There's very little light there because their consciousness did not create any of that on the physical plane. The auric colorings that they've manifested around themselves is murky, swampy, dull, enclosing them with those types of thoughts and those types of energies. There's no such thing as as perpetuity on the inner realms. In other words, eventually they come out of that. It's not like the Christian concept of eternal hell. And hell it is indeed. And all religions speak of it. The Buddhists speak of these pretas with tiny little mouths and big bloated stomachs. And they always thirsting and they live in deserts and all they want is water. Whenever they find a drop of water and they put it in their mouths, it burns their stomach even more. Understand that such a thing as time does not exist on these realms. Time only exists on the physical plane in relationship to your cycle of events. You count it as the, the clock ticks away, day and night, day and night. But day and night is only the relationship of the sun, earth and moon. 
as the earth revolves around the sun. On this inner realm, there's no day and night. There simply is this duration of experience, of the experience of whatever you created once you're alive. Until it wears away from you. What happens on this, these lower stratas of the astral plane is that loving types such as yourselves will spend quite a considerable amount of time going into those realms to try to rescue people from there, rescue beings, try to teach them that there's a higher state of being, to turn their eyes towards lights, to teach them a little bit more about light in the realms of light. This is a form of service work that many, many disciples on the path do. And some of you spend your time doing this when you leave your bodies at night. Ultimately, those conditionings wear off. And these beings go into a, a subtler state on the inner realms. So, for the most selfish, the most hate-filled individuals, they get that. That's their karma. This murk. If they are purely selfish, it's murky. If they hate-filled and they're fiery and they hate, it's fiery, the energies around them. It depends very much on what they've created. The wonderful thing is, however, for the most of humanity, the loving types of human beings that we have around us everywhere, they're not really all that ill-tempered or they just have nice emotions and they struggle with life. Life's not easy for them. They're trying to bring up their kids the best way they can and they're genuinely generous to their friends and family and so forth. And they caught up in materialism, yes, but for the whole life is a struggle. But they spend their times dreaming of, of a better life for themselves, a nicer environment. They may be living in quite a poor house and they build for themselves on the inner realms quite a mansion. And average humanity have built on the astral plane with their desired bodies, with their imaginations, out of this substance. Quite a beautiful environment. Everything that you can know that is good on this earth is there, but with much more vivid colouring. Understand that when you've left your body, it's the law of thought, of mind, that conditions everything. When you leave your body, most of you, and this is either at night or after you've died, most of you, the image that's strongest in your mind is the picture of yourself, the way you actually look. And so you'll leave your body with that image and so you're immediately clothed with the face and the form that you have. Very often it's naked, sometimes it's in the clothing that you really like. It's all conditioned by the laws of thought, immediately clothing you. However, if you had proper understanding of the laws of thought, you could come out in the form of a tiger or a dog or an amorphous shape. It's just a matter of how you use your mind. Thinking, yes, the energy of mind. 
because when you've left your body, what you have left is an emotional body and a mental body of those conditionings associated with human beings. And it's the mental body that rules and the laws of thought, the laws of mind that govern. So you can, with the energy of thought, create whatever you wish. Once you're out of these grosser realms, these hell states in the astral. And people have created for themselves beautiful mansions. Musicians, for instance, will continue listening to very, very exotic music. Because you're listening with astral ears now and not physical plane ears. On the physical plane, your organs of, of sensation are localized to sense receptors except for the sense of touch, which is a universal sense. In the fourth dimension, this astral plane, your organ of sensation is the entire astral form. You hear with the entire body. You see with the entire body. It's not limited to physical eyes. Technically, if we were going into the mathematics of the various dimensions of perception. You can start off from a singular point, zero dimension, the first dimension is another point, a line drawn at right angles to it, the second dimension is another point forming, drawn at right angles to that where you get a flat piece of paper, a flat world, the third dimension is a right angles to that, another point, and it produces cubic space the type of space that we see with our binocular vision. The fourth dimension is another line drawn to that uh, at right angles to it and it allows you to see all six sides of a cube at once as if you're standing within and without that space and that's the way you view with your astral senses because the substance of the astral plane permeates that space and you experience with that substance. So you can understand if you're a musician, you experience some very beautiful music indeed. We're going now to about the fourth subplane of the astral. That's where average humanity goes and a lot of spiritual beings. And there you have libraries of learning, beautiful homes, beautiful sceneries, lakes and birds and things that people have created. And you can go from one spot to another simply by thinking of it. As soon as you have thought of it, you're there. And if you want to create a house, you just have to sit there and meditate and you create it out of astral substance exactly how you imagine it. You need to put a little bit of will into it. And so you're taught that by helpers, spiritual beings on this realm. There are hospitals there for those that have come out of their physical body and are bewildered still or have this type of emotionality around them that I've described earlier. They are people that, for instance, are religionists and have created a huge religious thought form around them. And these people live in that religious thought form for quite a while embracing their Shiva or their Krishna or their Christ until eventually that thought form dissipates 
as it must, because it does not have substantiality of its own. And then the true conditionings of these astral environments, the greater conditioning that sends upon them, and they are bewildered, and they need help. <laughs>